0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, Chapter 41. The doctor was an old man, a very nice, kind-looking old man when I got him up. I told him me and my brother was over on Spanish Island, huntin' yesterday afternoon, and camped on a piece of a raft we found, and about midnight he must have kicked his gun in his dreams, for it went off and shot him in the leg, and we wanted him to go over there and fix it and not say nothing about it, nor let anybody know, because we wanted to come home this evening and surprise the folks. "'Who is your folks?' he says. "'The Phelps is down yonder.' "'Oh!' he says. And after a minute he says, How'd you say he got shot? He had a dream, I says, and it shot him. Singular dream, he says. So he lit up his lantern and got his saddle-bags, and we started. But when he seized the canoe, he didn't like the look of her. Said she was big enough for one, but didn't look pretty safe for two. I says, oh you needn't be afeard sir she carried the three of us easy enough what three why me and sid and 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 the guns that's what i mean oh he says but he put his foot on the gunwale and rocked her and shook his head and said he reckoned he'd look around for a bigger one but they was all locked and chained so he took my canoe and said for me to wait till he come back Or I could hunt around further, and maybe I'd better go down home and get them ready for the surprise, if I wanted to. But I said I didn't. So I told him just how to find the raft, and then he started. I struck an idea pretty soon. I says to myself, supposin' he can't fix that leg just in three shakes of a sheep's tail, as the sayin' is. Supposin' it takes him three or four days, what are we going to do? Lay around there till he lets the cat out of the bag? No, sir, I know what I'll do. I'll wait, and when he comes back, if he says he's got to go any more, I'll get down there, too, if I swim, and we'll take and tie him, and keep him, and shove out down the river, and when Tom's done with him we'll give him what it's worth, or all we got, and then let him get ashore." So then I crept into a lumber-pile to get some sleep, and next time I waked up, the sun was away up over my head. I shot out and went for the doctor's house, but they told me he'd gone away in the night some time or other, and warn't back yet. Well, thinks I, that looks powerful bad for Tom, and I'll dig out for the island right off.' So away I shoved, and turned the corner, and nearly rammed my head into Uncle Silas's stomach. He says, "'Why, Tom, where you been all this time, you rascal?' "'I hain't been nowheres.' I says, only just huntin' for the runaway nigger, me and Sid. Why, wherever did you go, he says, your aunt's been mighty uneasy. She needn't, I says, because we was all right. We followed the men and the dogs, but they outrun us, and we lost them. But we thought we heard them on the water, so we got a canoe and took out after em and crossed over, but couldn't find nothin' of them so we cruised along up shore till we got kind of tired and beat out, and tied up the canoe and went to sleep, and never waked up until about an hour ago. Then we paddled over here to hear the news, and Sid's at the post-office to see what he can hear, and I'm a-branching out to get something to eat for us, and then we're going home. So then we went to the post-office to get Sid, but just as I suspicioned he war not there. So the old man he got a letter out of the office, and we waited a while longer. But Sid didn't come. So the old man said, come along, let Sid foot it home, or canoe it, when he got done fooling around. But we would ride. I couldn't get him to let me stay and wait for Sid, and he said there warn't no use in it, and I must come along, and let Aunt Sally see we was all right. When we got home Aunt Sally was that glad to see me she laughed and cried both, and hugged me, give me one of them lickins of her'n that don't amount to shucks, and said she'd serve Sid the same when he come. And the place was plumb full of farmers and farmers' wives to dinner, and such another clack a body never heard. Old Mrs. Hotchkiss was the worst, her tongue was a goin' all the time, she says. Well, Sister Phelps, I ransacked that air cabin over, and I believe the nigger was crazy. I says to Sister Damrell, didn't I, Sister Damrell? Says I, he's crazy, says I. Them's the very words I said. You all hearn me, he's crazy, says I. Everything shows it, says I. Look at that ere grindstone, says I want to tell me that a creature in his right mind is going to scrabble all them crazy things onto a grindstone, says I. Here's such and such a person busted his heart, and here's so-and-so pegged along for thirty-seven year, and all that, natural son of Louis somebody, and such everlasting rubbish. He's plumb crazy, says I. It's what I says in the first place, it's what I says in the middle, and it's what I says last and all the time. The nigger's crazy. Crazy never couldn't easer, says I. And look at that ere ladder made out of rags, sister Hotchkiss, says old Mrs. Damrell. Why in the name of goodness could he ever want of? The very words I was a sayin' no longer go this minute to Sister Utterback, and she'll tell you so herself, says she. Look at that ere rag ladder, says she, and, says I, yes, look at it, says I, what could he a wanted of it, says I, says she, Sister Hotchkiss, says she, but how in the nation they ever get that grindstone in there anyway? And who dug that air hole? And who? My very words, Brer Penrod, I was a saying, pass that air sasser molasses, won't you? I was a saying to Sister Dunlap just this minute, how did they get that grindstone in there, says I without help, mind you, without help. That's where it is. Don't tell me, says I. There was help, says I, and there was a plenty help, too, says I. There been a dozen helping that nigger, and I lay I'd skin every last nigger on this place, but I'd find out who done it, says I, and moreover, says I, a dozen, says you. Forty couldn't a done everything that's been done. Look at them case knives, saws and things, how tedious they have been made! Look at that bed-leg sawed off with em. A week's work for six men! Look at that nigger made out of straw on the bed, and look at—' Well, you may say it, Br'er Hightower, it's just as I was saying to Br'er Phelps his own self.' Says he, "'What do you think of it?' Sister Hotchkiss says he, "'Think of what, Br'er Phelps?' Says I. "'Think of that bed-leg sawed off that away, way says he. Think of it, says I. I lay it never sawed itself off, says I. Somebody sawed it, says I. That's my opinion. Take it or leave it. It mayn't be no count, says I. But such as it is, it's my opinion, says I. And if anybody can start a better one, says I, let him do it, says I. That's all, I says to Sister Dunlap, says I. Why, dog, my cats, there must have been a house full of niggers in there every night for four weeks to have done all that work, Sister Phelps. Look at that shirt, every last inch of it covered over with secret African writing done with blood. Must have been a raft of em at it right along, all the time, almost. Why, I'd give two dollars to have it read to me, and as for the niggers that wrote it, I'd low I'd take and lash em until— "'People to help him, Brother Marples. Well, I reckon you'd think so if you'd a been in this house for a while back. Why they stole everything they could lay their hands on, and we a watchin' all the time, mind you. They stole that shirt right off of the line, and as for that sheet they made the rag ladder out of there ain't no telling how many times they didn't steal that, and flour and candles and candlesticks and spoons, and the old warming-pan, and most a thousand things that I disremember now, and my new calico dress, and me and Silas and my Sid and Tom on the constant watch day and night, as I was a tellin' you, and not a one of us could catch hide nor hair, nor sight nor sound of them, and here at the last minute, lo and behold you, they slides right in under our noses and fools us.' and not only fools us, but the Injun territory robbers too, and actually gets away with that nigger safe and sound, and that with sixteen men and twenty-two dogs right on their very heels at that very time. I tell you, it just bangs anything I ever heard of. Why, spirits couldn't a done better, and been no smarter. And I reckon they must have been spirits. Because you know our dogs, and there ain't no better. Well them dogs never even got on the track of em once. You explain that to me, if you can. Any of you." "'Well, it does beat "'Law's alive! I never—so, help me, I wouldn't have be—' "'House thieves as well as—' "'Limna's well, gracious sakes, I'd have been afeard to live in such a—' Afraid to live! Why, I was that scared I doesn't hardly go to bed.' or get up, or lay down, or set down, Sister Ridgeway. Why, they'd steal the very—why, goodness sakes, you can guess what kind of a fluster I was in by the time midnight come last night. I hoped to gracious if I weren't afraid they'd steal some of the family. I was just to that pass I didn't have no reasonin' faculties no more. It looks foolish enough now, in the daytime, but I says to myself— there's my two poor boys asleep way upstairs in that lonesome room, and I declare to goodness I was that uneasy that I crept up there and locked em in. I did, and anybody would, because, you know, when you get scared that way, and it keeps running on, and getting worse and worse all the time, and your wits get to addling, and you get to doing all sorts of wild things, and by-and-by you think to yourself, Supposin' I was a boy and was away up there, and the door ain't locked, and you—she stopped, lookin' kind of wonderin', and then she turned her head around slow, and when her eye lit on me, I got up and took a walk. Says I to myself, "I can't explain better how we come to not be in that room this mornin' if I go out to one side and study over it a little." So I done it but a dasn't go fur or she'd a sent for me. And when it was late in the day the people all went, and when I come in and told her the noise and shooting waked up me and Sid, and the door was locked and we wanted to see the fun, so we went down the lightning-rod, and both of us got hurt a little, and we didn't never want to try that no more. And then I went on and told her all what I told Uncle Silas before. And then she said she'd forgive us and maybe it was all right enough anyway, and about what a body might expect of boys, for all boys was a pretty harem scarum lot as fur as she could see. And so, as long as no harm hadn't come of it, she judged she better put in her time being grateful we was alive and well, and she had us still, stead of fretting over what was past and done. So then she kissed me, and patted me on the head, and dropped into a kind of a brown study, and pretty soon jumps up, and says, "'Why, law's the mercy, it's most night, and Sid not come yet. What has become of that boy?' I see my chance, so I skips up, and says, "'I'll run right up to town and get him,' I says. "'No, you won't,' she says. You'll stay right where you are, one's enough to be lost at a time. If he ain't here to supper, your uncle'll go.' Well. He warn't there to supper, so right after supper Uncle went. He come back about ten a little bit uneasy, hadn't run across Tom's track. Aunt Sally was a good deal uneasy, but Uncle Silas he said there wa'n't no occasion to be. Boys will be boys, he said, and you'll see this one turn up in the morning all sound and right. So she had to be satisfied. But she said she'd set up for him a while anyway. And keep a light burnin' so he could see it. And Then when I went up to bed she come up with me, and fetched her candle and tucked me in, and mothered me so good I felt mean, and like I couldn't look her in the face. And she sat down on the bed and talked with me a long time, and said what a splendid boy Sid was, and didn't seem to want to ever stop talking about him kept asking me every now and then if I reckon he could have got lost or hurt or maybe drownded and might be layin' at this minute somewhere sufferin' or dead, and she not by him to help him, and so the tears would drip down silent, and I would tell her that Sid was all right and would be home in the morning, sure, and she would squeeze my hand, or maybe kiss me, and tell me to say it again and keep on saying it because it done her good, and she was in so much trouble. And when she was goin' away she looked down in my eyes so steady and gentle, and says, "'The door ain't goin' to be locked, Tom, and there's the window and the rod. But you'll be good, won't you? And you won't go? For my sake!' Laws knows I wanted to go bad enough to see about Tom, and was all intending to go but after that I wouldn't a went, not for kingdoms. But she was on my mind, and Tom was on my mind, so I slept very restless. And twice I went down the rod away in the night, and slipped around front, and see her settin' there by her candle in the window, with her eyes towards the road, and the tears in them, and I wished I could do something for her, but I couldn't only to swear that I would not never do nothing to grieve her any more. And the third time I waked up at dawn, and slid down, and she was there yet, and her candle was most out, and her old grey head was resting on her hand, and she was asleep. End of chapter